Heather Heidelbach hasn't had it easy in life. Growing up poor after father left the family to dealing with an alcoholic husband. Yet she's built a 35-year career as an effective courtroom lawyer. Now she wants to be Pennsylvania's next attorney general. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. I am in downtown Pittsburgh, and my guest today is Heather Heidelbaugh. Hi, Heather. How are you? Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. Thanks for coming on Brews and Views. Um, and as folks are going to learn, uh, you are running for attorney general. I am. Uh, seeking the Republican nomination. And uh, you want to take on Josh Shapiro, uh, who's running for re-election. And we'll get to all of that. Uh, but first, I want to get into, you know, who is Heather Heidelbaugh? As we introduce you across the state and people start to hear your name, they're going to want to know more about that, the person behind uh, the politician, which uh, um, I know is a new label for you that uh, you have run for office, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But uh, tell us a bit about uh, Heather. Uh, where'd you grow up and uh, how'd you grow up? Well, I'm actually from Missouri. And everyone here in Western Pennsylvania wants to mispronounce the name of my home state. <laughs> and I'm trying to change everyone person by person. So I grew up You need there. to change the spelling, I think, oh, would be that. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> if you're a politician in Missouri, yeah, you say yeah. Missouri. Okay. So um, I came here in, when I was 29, uh, met a handsome young man in St. Louis who was a third-generation Pittsburgher. Mm -hmm. and uh, his father had died and, and brought me here to Pittsburgh. So that's how I got to Pittsburgh. But I grew up in Missouri, uh, went to the University of Missouri undergraduate in law school, um, and uh, majored in economics, uh, political science, and then went to their law school, practiced law there for four years. Always wanted to be a courtroom lawyer. Uh, got to do that for four years, and then... Um, Met a really handsome man. Well, but you jumped right into college and going to law school. It sounds sure. like you had a very easy uh, life growing up and, uh, you know, just skated through to college <laughs> and to law school, right? <laughs> I mean, exactly. I say that tongue-in-cheek because I know your story. I know sure. that uh, it wasn't just, uh, hey, uh, you born with a silver spoon in your mouth and yeah. uh, um, was able to go to college and law school with uh, mom and dad paying for everything, right? Well, you know, everything started out pretty well, and it, like many American families, uh, mom and dad didn't see eye to eye. Uh, unfortunately, dad left when I was eight, uh, leaving uh, mom to raise two children. Um, and, you know, this was in 1964, so mom wasn't really prepared to be a career woman. Um, she did the best she could. She was a secretary, um, you know, very, very little pay. Um, and, you know, I remember even studying this <laughs> when I was in school uh, about the effect of uh, dad leaving a family. Usually mm. a family would, uh, in that time frame, certainly would, would be plunged into poverty. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember one time being in class learning what the American level of income was to classify someone as living below the, uh, the poverty level. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow. We, we live below the poverty yeah. level. So, so you knew uh, that you were poor uh, growing up? or Yeah, uh, I mean, like, you know, 
lots and lots and lots of people don't don't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, there were certain things that just made it really difficult for us. Uh, we lived in an apartment that was um, source. The heat source was oil. And so oftentimes there wasn't any oil to the apartment, so we didn't have any heat. Mm. So, um, you know, I have a lot of memories of being cold. Um, Mom, you know, we we always, you know, we had food, but we didn't have a lot of food. Uh, Most of the time we didn't eat breakfast. Um, We had lunch, a delicious lunch at school that was 25 cents, Mm -hmm. and I love those school (laughs) lunches. I was so hungry by the time, you know, lunch Mm -hmm. rolled around. Um, And then we had, you know, just just regular, very regular dinners. And you, you said to me, did you know you were poor? There were times we knew we didn't have a lot, and then there were times we knew we were poor. I'll, one of the times that kind of hurt my heart was I had a friend come over to, to the our, our apartment, and he opened the refrigerator door, and he said, where's all your food? And mm. I said, well, there's food in there. And I didn't know that there wasn't a lot of food in the mm-hmm, refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And then I went over to his house, and I looked in his refrigerator, which looks like mine now. Yeah, stuffed, right? <laughs> there's there's things in there, mm-hmm. you know? So it was examples like that. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the kids would point out to us that, you know, we didn't have what everyone else had, which is fine, you know? So, so how did you guys, how did your mom survive in the 60s, right, when yeah. it's— when it wasn't, uh, mom could work, and it just wasn't. Oh no, she yeah. worked. Okay. Oh yeah, she. I mean, she went it, to work it, every yeah. day. She worked very, very hard. Did you guys have to get on public assistance? Was that? Well, uh, what, you yeah. know, no, we didn't. And and I say this very carefully mm-hmm. because if you need public assistance, you should have public assistance. Mm-hmm. That's what we have pay our taxes for. But in our family, my mom uh, was Irish. And the, the way that that was talked about was you would have never asked anyone mm. for help. Mm-hmm. That would have been something you could not have uh, bore. Mm. Um, so our grand, my grandparents, who were also of limited means, helped. But we just, didn't, we just didn't have things. The other thing I say quite often is when you grow up poor, you kind at least for us we kind of grew up scared so you have a coat and if you misplace the coat you're (laughs) not getting another coat Mm -hmm. your coat is gone so you're kind of always worried about where is your coat you know uh, what's the condition of the car will the vacuum break you know because there's no extra money for when life happens yeah which is constantly Mm -hmm. so there's a stress of poverty that when you have money, you don't have because you know you always have an extra 50 bucks to to buy another coat or to buy another pair of gloves. So that I remember the stress of, of being poor. Mm-hmm. So uh, at, at, at what point did you say, you know what, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a law degree? Uh, were those things that uh, early in life you said that that was where you wanted to pursue it? Was this, uh, how did all of that uh, come about then? At some point, I figured out that God had given me uh, some brains. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was never the smartest kid in the class, but I always did pretty well. And the thing I knew deeply inside of me, which was different than other people around me, was I loved to learn. I loved to read. Mm. I, 
I actually loved being the nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I loved going to the library. And um, I didn't think college was going to be in my future because I couldn't imagine. That's the other thing. Mm. When you're poor and you live a certain way, the world is not open to you. And there was no Google. Yeah, right, right. You couldn't <laughs> there was see no the cable world TV. outside. Yeah. And you, no one talks about that. My mom didn't go to college. Uh, my grandparents didn't go to college. Uh, no one in my family on my mom's side had, had gone to college. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as I was growing up, I was hearing, obviously, and we, I wasn't in the dark ages, I was hearing <laughs> that people were going to college, but it, it, it wasn't discussed. Mm-hmm. And then a miracle happened. My, my mom got married, and mm. she got married my senior year when I was 18. Mm. And my stepdad uh, came into my room, I think it was March of my senior year, when most other people already had their plans, and he said, would you like to go to college? And I said, I knew instantly that that was a key to unbounded freedom. Mm. Mm. I didn't really. I mean, were you thinking of college? At the, oh, I desperately uh, yeah, okay. wanted to yeah. go. Um, I had gotten a little five hundred dollars scholarship because I, I think I was in the top ten in my high school class. Mm-hmm. Um, but but how was that all going to happen? I mean, you're so. I don't even know how to describe it. I couldn't even imagine how I would get to college. Like, would I take a bus? <laughs> right. This is yeah. how elemental my thinking was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he said, well, I'm going to drive you down. He called the dean of the school. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Mm. We didn't have computers. We didn't, and, and I talked to the chairman of the political science department because he said, well, what do you want to major in? And I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. and, um, but I loved politics. Mm-hmm. And um, most, I shouldn't say politics. I loved government. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved all of, of the history and that kind of thing. And um, so we met with the chairman, and he said, well, um, I remember him saying, well, honey, you're smart. You can go to college. (laughs) (laughs) He handed me a piece of paper. It was an application, Uh a piece of paper. And um, I think I had taken the ACT, which was $35, which was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I had done well on that. And he said, well, you know, absolutely, you could go. And then I had a conversation with my stepdad, and... uh, Tuition was $300 a semester. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable that the University of Missouri, the taxpayers, w- provided an mm-hmm. opportunity for kids to mm-hmm. change their lives. So, um, you know, obviously he helped me. Plus, I, had, I worked every summer. And when I say I saved every penny, I saved every penny in a little, you know, savings account. Mm-hmm. We used that money, and my, my stepdad helped and then um, my junior year, I worked junior year, senior year, and I was able to basically manage all the costs, saving in the summer, working during the school year. And then um, for law school, it was $900 a semester. Yeah, so where did law school come into the picture? And you said, you know what, I want to pursue uh, a, a law degree. Well, I, and, got, yeah. Yeah, I got really emboldened pretty quick because I was – I was like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> I mean, it was like, and the other thing was, I figured out you could get two majors for the cost of one. <laughs> and I was like, this is yeah. so cool. I can get two majors. It's not going to cost anymore. So I decided to get an economics degree, 
my junior year and got the full degree. Mm -hmm. And at around the same time, I started looking around and examining things. And I remember exactly when I came home and I said to my mom and stepdad at at dinner, I was scared to death. I said, uh, I think I'd like to apply to law school, which was more money. Yeah, three times more. And (laughs) also you didn't go to go to work. Mm -hmm. That was the big Mm -hmm. thing. You didn't leave college, Mm -hmm. go to work and start helping. Right. And um, I remember I asked him during dessert, (laughs) 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 thinking as Mm -hmm. a kid that it would go over easier at dessert. No, (laughs) it doesn't go over easier. So we, we talked a lot about it and I was more principally responsible and, and we had a deal where I would pay as far as I could get and then I would call him if the money ran out and I usually got to about March and what were you thinking uh, what would a law degree help you do why why was a law degree uh, the the avenue you said that's where I want to go I I had two principal things in my head I I really wanted to have a job where someone would come to me and I would help them in a very substantial way that they could look at me and, and, and this sounds a little um, kindergartenish, but I wanted to be someone that people could rely on. I, I wanted to shove a ton of information into my head, become super smart, and then use it to help people. Mm. Um, and I saw that in my world as a doctor or a lawyer. Mm. I don't think I'd ever met a lawyer. <laughs> really? No. So no. wasn't somebody saying, hey, Heather, you ought to consider oh, no. law, and here's how you could use that? I it knew was that there was a few people in my town that were lawyers mm-hmm. that were looked at as sort of not powerful, not rich, but the people you went to if you had a problem. The, these were the people that were going to help save families, save businesses, They just like a doctor. You know, you went to these people if um, if you really needed help, and I thought, that would be a life, an interesting life, a life worth living, and it would be a, sort of a life of service. But I was also very concerned that I could take care of myself and take care of a, mm. an eventual family. And I was. You always knew lawyers were rich, right? <laughs> n- n- no, I did. Well, first, I didn't know what rich meant, yeah, yeah. but um, but I knew. I figured lawyers could always feed their family, mm-hmm. always buy, you know, you could probably have a house, you could have a car, you, you could live like a middle-class life. I, mm-hmm. I never thought rich. Yeah, uh, at, that was outside. The, well, I didn't really yeah. know what rich uh-huh. was or how people got rich. Uh-huh. So um, I, I just, I thought it would be the, the most want, because it was learning too. Mm-hmm. You got three more years to shove stuff into your brain and I just loved it I mean it's a luxury to sit in a class and learn yeah it versus you know having to take a hammer and nail something in out in the cold I mean it's a luxury to be in school so in a sense uh you kind of stumbled into something that became a passion because you've built a uh a long career uh of being in the courtroom uh working you know to help people uh, and also take out some bad guys along the way, right? Uh, well, you know, um, I, I say this in some closings or some openings. It, it's an honor of the highest magnitude to receive a law license. You have to study. 
you have to pass a bar, you have to pass credentialing, and you're constantly reviewed uh, from continuing education, and you know you can have complaints filed against you. But you're, there's only one person who can stand in the well of the court and ask for justice to our government for another human being. One person, mm -hmm. that's a lawyer, no one else. That is a huge honor and it's a huge responsibility. And that comported with my idea of, of wanting people to come to me and that I could help them. Mm -hmm. So uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, you've, uh, a man comes into your life who then brings you to Pittsburgh, right? right, uh, right. Uh, and so uh, you come to Pittsburgh. When when is that? And, 1988. Uh, all right. So in 88, and uh, you start to build a practice. Let's uh, let's talk about that. And then I know you end up getting involved in politics. Uh, right. At what point uh, does that become part of your life? But tell us about coming to coming to Pennsylvania, and, and now this is home for you. Right. So um, you know, it was it was. Uh, Pennsylvania was never kind of in my idea of, of where my life would be. Um, but, you know, we moved here to western Pennsylvania in 1988. The steel mills were just really closing, mm -hmm. and the, the hulking remnants of them were still on the rivers. There, the population here was uh, dissipating. You, you would walk down the street, and you wouldn't see any young people or children. Hmm. All the people had kind of left, and I sort of thought, oh, my goodness. Where'd we move to? We, you know, <laughs> wow. And in the ensuing 30 years, I mean, it, is, it, it has become one of the cities that Americans want to come to mm -hmm. for many, many reasons. So it was difficult when we first moved here. We were young. We didn't have a lot of money. I was coming for a new law firm. He was going to take over the business after his father had died. So there was... There was a lot going on, mm -hmm. um, but my focus always was to ha be in a firm where I could almost always, which is unrealistic, be in a courtroom. That's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so first I, I went to a firm where I thought I would be in a courtroom all the time. Didn't happen. Then I went to another firm. I was in a courtroom all the time. Um, and, and that's really my love is to be on my feet in, in a court. Now, in today's world... You know, we don't try as many cases right. on the civil side as we would like, um, but I, I've tried a lot of cases for for what we what you know modern day modern day lawyers. What are some of the cases that stick out the most to you uh, that were important in your career, uh, and then that you know hopefully we'll you know we'll be able to talk about how all of this your experience translates into why you want to be the next attorney general here in Pennsylvania. I, I've represented. I intentionally formed my practice to represent people and companies. A lot of lawyers decide they're only going to represent, let's say, injured people, or mm -hmm. they're only going to represent companies, or they're only going to do liquor licenses. Or I defied that stereotype, which is very unusual. Mm. And I said, what I want to do is I want people to hire Heather, for her trial skills. And at the beginning, <laughs> nobody knew Heather yeah. and nobody knew my trial skills. So I had to take what I could get. Now today, people hire me for my trial skills. Mm -hmm. And I take cases based on my desire of liking the case, liking the facts. Um, and I've done almost every case except for a patent case. Um, and I, lo I love it. Mm. 
um, because you're trying to get to the truth of it. You're trying to protect people who've been wrongly sued, or you're trying to help people that have been wronged by someone else. So I, I really, I, 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 I represent all types of cases and all types of people. What, uh, what have been some of the more, more substantive or important cases that uh, you've been? Probably the largest yeah. case I ever was involved in in terms of a national perspective was I sued ACORN um, on behalf of uh, people who were outraged by their faulty voter registrations, which then became a national case. Mm-hmm. And, and it was Yeah, for those that don't know ACORN, it described what ACORN was, because uh, it's no longer, I know it's probably been reformulated and uh, operates under different names today, but uh, I know ACORN, that was a very large case. Uh, it turned out that it, it was, I think, the American Community Organization Reform Movement or something like that. It was started in the 70s it was really started to overthrow the government. Mm. And it sounds like I'm being a whack. I'm just like (laughs) some wacky conservative, but that is how it started. Um, And what they were trying to do was put people on the welfare rolls and put so many people on the welfare rolls that the whole system would break and that we would have to have a new form of government, which never really worked. But Mm -hmm. eventually what happened is it turned into 250 separate corporations all operating under the umbrella of ACORN as, a, as organizations to help people in poverty and, and many other uh, state of purposes. And they, had, they were getting more than a billion dollars of funding, and no one had ever kind of kept track mm-hmm. of it because there were 250 different companies. So they, come, they, they got involved in politics eventually, mm-hmm. which they had, yeah. their state of purpose in the beginning was never to do that because they thought they'd be exposed. Well, then when they got in politics, then they were exposed. Mm-hmm. And um, they got faulty registrations, and they were trying to get people to vote that, that shouldn't have been registered. And so we sued them, and um, we exposed them. And I spent a year of my life without pay um, testifying to Congress, um, getting on national television, sort of explaining what this organization was, working with Congress, and eventually they were defunded. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and while you're doing your law practice, you uh, ended up deciding to run for the Allegheny County Council, right? Or, or serve at, for, a, for a time there. Right. Um, how did you, uh, where has the intersection of kind of politics uh, entered your life and how'd you get involved there? So, uh, I majored in political science mm-hmm. and you could do three tracks political theory, study Locke and Rousseau and Hume do political campaigning and something else. And I did political (laughs) campaigning. So um, I was always very interested in the political process Mm -hmm. and learned how to actually do campaigns. So I've been doing that since I was 20. I interned in the legislature. I've always helped. I've always been on the the kind of inside track, you know, helping others Mm -hmm. run for office, helping others raise money, helping others write speeches, uh, prepare for debates, all that sort of thing. Um, and then in my mind, I always wanted to run for office. But for, for me, and only for me, I had to make a decision. And this is not true for every woman. But I had children. I had a job. And then I was thinking about adding to those that big plate <laughs> politics. Mm-hmm. And it just, there was too much on my plate, being a full-time mother, uh, a single mother, and being a full-time uh, courtroom lawyer. Well, so, and I, and I want to get to how you became a single mother. I know that yeah. that's one of those other challenges in your life. Uh, 
of course, dad leaving early, uh, but then also losing your husband to alcoholism, right? Right. So, um, which is, you know, very difficult for, for me to talk about, but if you're running for office, it's, it's necessary. Yes. So, um, so I, just to finish the one yeah. thought, I always wanted to run for mm-hmm. office, um, but my husband and I had agreed on a plan that when the youngest was 16, meaning the youngest would have a driver's license and they could drive themselves <laughs> to whatever event they had to drive Didn't themselves. need the mom taxi anymore. Correct, yeah. correct. Then I would then look around and see, was there a position open that I was interested in that my credentials fit? Mm-hmm. And so um, that's when I ran for county council because those two things had happened. It was more difficult because I was a single mom, but I, I still did it. So um, and, that, and that was uh, in from 2012 20, to 15. No, that was that 20, 2011. Okay. Yeah, I okay. think I was actually installed early yeah. okay. of 2010, uh, and then 11 to 15. I think okay. Was, yeah. So um, unfortunately, I've learned uh, more than I ever wanted to know uh, about alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, I have said uh, too many times that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy being the wife of an alcoholic. Um, I, uh, I didn't really realize, uh, when I married my husband that there were signs because I, there was no drinking in my mm-hmm. house when I grew up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, it was really after the birth of my second child, which if you read some of the medicine about alcoholism, the birth of a second child can trigger a downward spiral because hmm. of the increased economic, mm-hmm. increased Pressures, responsibilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my second child was born in 1995, and that's when the um, the really the very, very horrible things happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, 1999 was the first time we were separated, and um, we were separated, f- you know, there was some times that, you know, he might come to watch the kids, but he lived with his his mom. And we divorced in 2010, so we were separated for 11 years. And um, I'm Catholic, and uh, I hoped at some point to never divorce, mm-hmm. to just be separated, um, to remain married uh, because of my faith. I was responsible for all the finances and um, also his finances and all the health insurance. And then in 2010, it became unbearable. Mm. And uh, upon uh, uh, more consultation that I want to bore you with, (laughs) including with uh, uh, the church, uh, I decided that for the good of the family, I had to divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, he was uh, very, very sick, very sick. Um, He was a beautiful man. Um, He was very smart. Um, the children loved him very much, as did I when I married him. Um, he had five patents. Yeah. He was the president of his company. He was an engineer. Uh, but, you know, some of the toughest things as a human being is to separate your love of a person and your absolute hatred of of a problem. Mm-hmm. And um, And I certainly had both. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not going to say I did everything right because I learned as we were going (laughs) um, 
I think I would be a better wife of an alcoholic if I had to do it again. Yeah. I hope I never do. But um, it was it was horror. Mm. So um, um, we always say this. I don't know why, but we do. We said Daddy died uh, in 2017, um, and um, we put him to rest. Yeah. And he's in my living room at his request, um, and he is with us on all the holidays, and um, and we pray for his soul. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that those are, that's hard for you to talk about, and I appreciate your sharing that because, uh, I mean, these are the things that uh, make us who we are uh, and then drive us forward, right? I think we've always said, hey, you either uh, you get knocked down, um, either get up and get stronger or you stay laying down. Well, and you're I certainly can tell not, yeah. you there were many days. Sure. Literally, I was knocked down. Yeah. And metaphorically, mm. I was knocked down. Mm-hmm. And I give a lot of uh, speeches to young women, young women in, in all professions and mm. young women lawyers. And when I was coming up in the law, there were women who said, you can do it all. And I thought, wow, I'm not doing it all. Mm. (laughs) I'm having trouble doing it all. And I thought that was just the worst advice. So I say to young women, on Monday, you might be on the kitchen floor crying your eyes out. Tuesday, get up and go to work. Mm. Wednesday, go to the basketball game. Thursday, help your best friend. And Friday, knock it out of the park at work. Mm. Because you can't do it all. Mm. And there will be days where you can't move. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, if you can get through it, you move the next day. So uh, all of these life experiences, your time in the courtroom, um, growing up the way you have, uh, has led you to say, I now want to take all of this uh, and run for attorney general Hmm. uh, and against an incumbent who, you know, seems to be uh, pretty strong, right? He's uh, been doing a lot out there from suing President Trump dozens of times to, you know, this and that. Um, You want to uh, take on this new challenge here. Tell us about that. One of the things I think that's reasonable uh, looking at this is, I'm fairly confident that Mr. Shapiro has indicated to a, a number of his friends uh, and supporters that he intends to run for governor. So if you kind of do the math, you can see that he would run for attorney general for his second term. And very, very, very quickly, maybe six months, he would have to start running for governor. Sure. So, uh, you know, that's I, like the worst kept secret that he's running for governor. So, uh, yeah. So I think it's you know, it's a legitimate question uh, and a legitimate basis for someone to say, we need a full-time attorney general. And and that sounds like a talking point and a sound bite, but, but it's a legitimate mm-hmm. basis. And I'll, and I'll give you the reason. When I served on county council, we had a, 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 a hard and fast rule uh, that you could not break, that you had to ser- serve um, the, your full term. You couldn't run for mm. something else. Mm-hmm. You had to serve the people. And if you wanted to run for something else, you had to quit. Yes. And that actu- that rule existed for the attorney general for a very long time. It doesn't exist anymore. But, you know, mm. certainly you, d- as an elected person, you don't have to run for something else. Yeah. Um, you can say you're going to be what you told the people you were going right. to be. Now, I have been interviewed uh, by the press, and I have pledged I'm not going to run for governor. Uh, mm-hmm. I will never run for governor <laughs> because I don't have a desire to be governor. Mm-hmm. I have a desire to be a lawyer and serve the people. 
So um, Mr. Shapiro could say, I want to run for governor, and I'm not going to run for second term of attorney general because I can't do both. I can't be a full-time attorney general, right. serve the people, run what is in essence an 850-person law firm, and, um, and, and do all of that. Yeah. So uh, that's one reason. Mm-hmm. And the second reason is um, I've practiced law every day for 35 years. I even practiced law on my two maternity leaves. <laughs> Tried two <laughs> cases on my first maternity leave, which I don't recommend. Um, and so I feel that I, I have cre- you know, solid credentials to serve the people. Um, I, I look at uh, the, the legal background of Mr. Shapiro and it appears to me, unless I'm not looking somewhere correctly, that he hasn't really practiced law. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to law school in the evening. Uh, he never practiced in a corporate setting. He never practiced. I mean, he was associated with a law firm when he was a state rep. But I don't believe he's really practiced law. And I just find that just an incredible fact. How can you, how can you be the lawyer, the chief lawyer for the fifth largest state, and never have really practiced law, I, I, you know, and 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 I guess the retort to that is, well, you know, you're running policy, you're you're running the office. Well, you've never run an office either. You you didn't ever do mm-hmm. that beca- before you became attorney general. Now you have three years experience, but still, you've never seen how the law intersects with public policy as a lawyer. So how can you manage when you don't really understand the law? And I think his run as attorney general has sort of shown that. Mm. Um, I think he has misunderstood the indicting grand jury. Um, It is to be used uh, solely for public corruption or organized crime. And he has not uh, held. That's what the law says. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the people deserve a full time, very experienced lawyer to run the office. And the the office has numerous divisions and so many responsibilities. And if you talk to, you know, frontline prosecutors, people who prosecute criminals all day long, they work with the attorney general's office. And that 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 office has to be running on full steam mm-hmm. and it has to be running appropriately, fully staffed, coordinating well. And and I don't think running for governor is going to give him either a that he said what he says what he does is he just manages the office he doesn't need to be a lawyer and he certainly isn't going to be a lawyer so what is he going to be doing he's mm-hmm. going to be running for governor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well and i think that that's where uh the, the case to the people uh who probably don't fully understand what the attorney general does i think will be your big challenge of course uh given that the president uh is uh on the ballot um which brings uh maybe kind of as we wrap things up here uh, that is uh, one of the things that I think folks uh, in the Republican uh, Party, um, who right now you don't have any uh, somebody else running for attorney uh, general, at least in the Republican nomination. Um, what are your thoughts? I know you've had some tweets out there that uh, have come up during the race. Um, how do you answer those things that people say, ah, Heather is anti-Trump or she's a never-Trumper? Uh, are those uh, charges true? Well, no. No. Um- First of all, I, I like to go back to what a definition is because uh, I'm a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> a never Trumper, someone who didn't, who wanted to interfere in the convention process and prohibit all the state's decisions and not allow him on the ballot. That would be an anathema to anything I would mm-hmm. ever stand for because it's you would be in, interfering with the people's will. 
Um, so ha have I disagreed with the president? Yes, I have. Um, that's my right as a citizen. Um, do I support many of the things that the president has done and the administration has done? Of course I do. Um, I have worked closely with the Trump administration as well as the senators in regard to being the chair of the Judicial Commission. Uh, we have appointed conservative judges to Western Pennsylvania. Um, so, For sure. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've, we've really, you know, uh, shored up uh, the third branch of government, the judiciary. Um, I have uh, been very complimentary of the president, um, for instance, um, his, his request of our NATO partners to begin to pay their their mm -hmm. way on the defense of the, of the European continent. I've been very complimentary of him in that regard. His his um, aggressive stance against China, you know, our our businesses were being robbed blind uh, by the theft of IP, um, and I'm I'm hopeful that, that aggressive stance will begin to uh, to take hold in some changes uh, by China. Um, and, um, you know, I have been uh, complimentary of him in regard to his trade stances. Um, we, we certainly had a trade imbalance, and we had, to, we had to get tough with some of our trading partners. So, um, you know, I was critical of George Bush mm -hmm. and George H.W. Bush mm -hmm. and Bill Clinton. Um, you know, it, that's, that's good for our democracy um, to, to occasionally – have a different opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I always say, uh, look, uh, I, I can't convince my wife to uh, be right on everything either, right? So we're always going to <laughs> have the— Nor can yeah. she convince you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, I, and, I, and I bring that up only because I know that the, some folks uh, will say, well, Heather is opposed to Trump. But uh, so thank you for that, you know, your thoughts and, and explanation of that. So going forward, uh, you're going to have to put a lot of miles uh, uh, on your car. I put and a thousand uh, yes. miles in three days yeah. well, and last I know, week. Uh, here we are in Pittsburgh. Uh, you are headed to the other side of the state here See, after this we is finish the fun up, part. right? Yes. This is the great <laughs> part. And and truly, if you could if you could put an x-ray on my soul, I love talking to people. Mm. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, I think there are people involved in politics that really don't like the people. Yeah. Right. I love the people <laughs> because, you know, they tell you, hey, you know, I live in Carbon County. Here's the problems that we have, or I'm a frontline prosecutor in this county, and I can't get the AG's office to do this. Uh, would you address this if you become AG? I, I love listening to people, um, and, and I hope, and, hope to do a lot of that because that's where we're really going to find solutions, not top-down but bottom-up. Well, I wish you well and safe travels as you traverse the state here in 2020. Uh, Heather Heidelbach, thank you for joining me here on Brews and Views. Thank you, Matt. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.